One of my earliest dreams has always been to play the saxophone. Yes, indeed, my friends. Truth be told, when I was very, very young, one of my first true dreams was to play the saxophone. My parents were pretty hip, pretty hip, more hip than I knew back then, that's for sure. They brought home a Commodore computer in 1982, something like that. And I've had podcasts about this. I basically have spent my career on a Macintosh computer, and I credit my parents for that, for bringing that home early. But even earlier than that, my parents tried to get us into musical instruments. My older, actually my younger brother, finally took it deep with the guitar, and uh, he's a professional classical guitarist and music teacher and just all-around Stebzilla rock star on the guitar, Frankensteb. I think that's one of his hard rockin' guitar names. And uh, we were in college together. I listened to him practice all the time. My Zen priest and Aikido instructor Tija Bell, Zen patriarch of the Rinzai, is also a classical guitarist. And, uh, you know, I just, I just love the idea of music. But I'm getting a little I'm getting a little ahead of myself, friends. Basically, I just want to share with you how early and how early and how deep my love of music has been throughout my entire life. And initially, yes, I wanted to play the saxophone. When my parents asked us if we wanted to play a musical instrument, I said, yes, I want to play a saxophone. But, you know, we're talking 1970. 8, 76, 77, 78, maybe 78. Uh, you know, that ju- there just wasn't a lot of room for the idea of a one-handed boy playing the saxophone. And as much as I wanted it, my parents came home with a trumpet. Now, now that makes sense. And I have some lifelong regret about not sticking with that instrument. And I can only say that in hindsight because I'm not nine, I'm 51. And the trumpet is such an incredibly beautiful and versatile instrument. It's somewhat portable and it just basically rocks. You can do a little rock, you can do a little jazz, you can do a little blues. I mean, it's a pretty sweet instrument. And I, I'm a breath individual. You know, some people are percussion, some people pluck strings, hit strings, Other people are breath, and I'm all about the breath. That will come clear in uh, a little bit further down the podcast. But let let me tell you, my friends, I was not a happy child that my parents came home with a trumpet. And though I tried, you know, I just, it wasn't something I loved, or at least then knew it was something I should have loved. Just, and not just the trumpet, but the idea of the musical expression. But when I was a kid, it was very hard to understand what was going on in the world of two-handed people with my one-handed body. And I just always wanted to do very two-handed things. They're not impossible things. They're just very two-handed things. 
And, uh, you know, it caused me a lot of suffering, and I was a very angry young kid, if you, if you, if that, if you can believe that based on who I am right now. And now I look back and I think, you know what, I should have stuck with the trumpet. I should have been more into soccer, right? And I'm not, it, it's not a cop-out. It's just that I'm great with my feet. I run well. I run fast. I run long. You know, I could have been a great soccer player, but I wanted to play baseball. <laughs> and I wanted to play the saxophone. And though I tried, my my heart wasn't in it, and I eventually gave up the trumpet. Now, I, of course, I regret that now. And, uh, and I got to tell you, over the course of my life, over the last 40 years— I've tried many musical instruments. I've I tried the drums, even though the you know, the the drummer for Def Leppard lost an arm. He's drumming, right? And that was some inspiration for me in a different kind of way. But I you know I took a drumstick and I screwed it into my artificial arm and I tried that. I mean I'd probably do different things now. I would need a different kind of interface for it to work well. But I'm I'm not into percussion. I'm not I'm not that into it, so to speak. Um, I, and when I first moved to Seattle, uh, I used to rock the trombone, getting back to the brass, you know, getting back to the brass. And uh, I, I like the trombone. I like the trombone. I, well, the trumpet would have been cool, too. The trombone is pretty hip, man. I love the trombone. Wouldn't have mind sticking with that one, too. Uh, but then I came across the didgeridoo when I moved to Boise, Idaho. And, you know, I've been blowing on that didge for 20 years. It is, it is a deep part of who I am, even though I haven't done it that much lately. I still rock the didgeridoo. Oh, I throw down on the didge. And I also have an accordion. I used to have an electronic keyboard and a looping machine. Yes, I have been part of maybe three music festivals and events, electronic music festivals and events. And uh, I've spent a lot of time on stage doing musical stuff, singing with the Red Light Variety Show. Uh, I actually have an accordion. I've, I've played the accordion on stage and on just a couple of occasions. I played it upside down, played the bass side, looped it, turned it back around and rocked the melody side with the keys. Just as, you know, novelty more than anything. And I look good wearing the accordion. Uh <laughs> All right, I'm gonna, I'm going to tell you a quick little story. When I first met Tisha Bell, it was at a classical guitar master's seminar being held in Montana with Christopher Parkinin, who at that time was the most esteemed classical guitarist in the United States. He was gigging, he was making money. He put on a master's class. He asked for auditions. Only about 30 people made the cut. Tisha Bell was one and my brother was the other uh, of the of the 30. So my parents and my brother and myself all went to Montana to support my brother. I for whatever reason got to stay with my brother and the in the dorms with all the other classical guitarists. Now my brother ended up meeting uh I believe John Sutherland there and ended up going to Atlanta for his master's program in classical guitar and then also the uh the Atlanta Guitar Quartet was there. Just some really cool younger chaps, you know. I was probably almost 30, and they were in their early 20s. 
And uh, it's funny because I was staying with my brother. We were in the dorms. We were hanging out. People were seeing us together. I looked over and I could see these four guys. And my brother's like, oh, yeah, those guys are good. They're the, they're, the, they're the Georgia Guitar Quartet. And they were looking at me a little funny. And I turned to my brother and I said, you know what? I've seen that look. I know what that looks about. And we kind of walked over there. <laughs> and it's so funny. <laughs> My brother's like, hey, man, my name's Alejandro. This is my brother, Esteban. And one of the guys from the guitar quartet, the Georgia guitar quartet, he looked at me and he's like, man, I can't wait to see you play the classical guitar. <laughs> you know, because you play classical guitar with all 10 fingers, right? One hand, all five fingers have long fingernails and they pluck. Every one is a guitar pick. It's amazing. And I don't have two hands. <laughs> so... We, everybody just started laughing. I was like, no, I'm just here with my brother. I happen to be in the dorms. I'm a didgeridoo player. We do duets, this kind of thing. And it, it was just such a great time. And the funny thing is, is that I also met Tija Bell Sensei, who ended up just be, who is a great mentor of mine, has been a mentor of mine for 20 years. We've done many performances together, classical guitar and didgeridoo. Uh, he's, you know, my Aikido sensei, my heart sensei. And it's interesting because we made such a connection there. My brother with Tija and myself with Tija. And we just have this interesting triangulated relationship with a slight musical overtone. But I'm far out there because musically, oh, I struggle. I struggle. Um, so let me get back to some other musical instruments. I also play a crackle box, which is just a bizarrely uniquely weird, electronic, rare musical instrument, hard to find. I actually, I was on a waiting list. It took like, it took so long for this electronic instrument to show up. I actually forgot I ordered it. And I have number like 249 to 500 in the run of uh, 2002 or 2010, something like that. I can't remember. I, I'll, I'll see if I can dig it up. Yeah, you got to Google, uh, get on YouTube, look for Crackle Box. Just like it sounds, crackle with the C box. They're 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 funky, weird, cool, and amazing. And uh, let me see what else I got in my gambit. You know, a theremin. I did a podcast about playing the theremin. I love the theremin. I love the theremin. You know, the interesting thing is, is that I have an interesting musical overtone in my life, and I want to share more about that in my next podcast. Oh yeah. And I, I didn't make up the podcast that I didn't do before this one. Like I said, I would in my last podcast. I hope you got all that. So I'm going to put it forward and I'm going to try to get it out in the next couple of days. I apologize if you looked for it and you didn't find it. It's coming up. It's coming up this week in the next couple of days. And it's basically going to be about everything that I just slightly talked about all these musical instruments I've played getting on stage, singing, all of that. I don't claim to be a musician. I am simply an artist that makes music. I create sound sculptures. And I'll tell you what, for as little formal training as I have, and as tone deaf in quotes, parentheses, that I believe that I am, I get some standing ovations. People love my funky electronic music, music style, didgeridoo. Tibetan singing bowls. I also play those. So we'll, we'll get more, more into that later. I'm just, I'm just rambling because it's what I do. It's the One Hand Speaks podcast number 168, my friends. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. And this really 
this really is about the saxophone and my desire to play the saxophone. And the inspiration, the, just the belief to never give up that dream, like never give up on a dream, to just dream a dream because it is the dream that you want. And even if physically not possible, financially not possible, I have never given up on that dream in my mind. And I'll tell you, when I, when I moved to Seattle, some amazing things occurred when I, my time in Seattle. I, this podcast is not the place to be telling those kind of stories, but maybe my YouTube page will suit that a little bit better. You know, this, I try to keep this clean. I try to keep this up front. I mean, I, I, I have some, you know, I've lived a very interesting life, and I want to share more of those stories. But I'll tell you, in Seattle, I used to live with a guy, and he played the drums. We had a guitar player, and I used to rock the trumpet very badly, very badly. But we just jammed, you know. It's just, you know, and we had some funky style. It was not good at all, but we loved doing it. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, when I think about, oh, if I could live my life over, what would I do or what, you know, what would I be into, you know? And I think one of the things would be, being a watchmaker, oddly enough, fixing mechanical watches, but really, truly, deeply, you know, I mean, my dream job is to be a professional speaker, right? But we're not talking dream jobs. If I could live my life over, I'd be a musician. I would more formally, I wouldn't give up. I would more formally get into it and go for it and pick something that works and just make it work, you know, and the the trumpet could have worked. But, you know, when I was younger, I was just so angry that I couldn't do what two-handed people do. And it was hard, man. It really affected me. And, you know, in a very real way, I've looked down the barrel of a shotgun. There were a couple times I wanted to check out. Uh, Because back in the late 70s, people treated people with disabilities a lot different. And that was all the way up until like 1980, you know, 91. Even trying to get a job in Seattle sometimes was pretty difficult. And moving to Boise back in 99, you know, I got I got some podcasts about just trying to find work. Some of the hardest things I've ever had to do is deal with other people's perception about me. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that not having two hands, I'm, I'm, I'm a little creative trying to solve problems. And that creativity showed up in a number of ways. One is I love to build things. And I was very much into industrial design when I was at the University of Washington. That was one of the majors I wanted to get into, along with building prosthetic arms, not the, the myoelectronic ones potentially, but just more artificial arms. Because I wear one, it makes sense that I should make them. And uh, but, but those programs were hard to get into. I was more interested in acquiring an education, not necessarily getting good grades, if that makes any kind of sense. I just wanted to learn and expand. I wanted to kick the new knowledge uh, once I got to the University of Washington. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't get into either of those programs. And that was a little frustrating. That kind of hurt, you know, especially the prosthetic one, because uh, the University of Washington has a great prosthesis program. However, I was a little more into industrial design because I liked the idea of building things. And then one day, along the trials and tribulations of my one-handed life, I started just doing more deep contemplation about 
building things, you know. I kind of gave up the idea of how can a one-handed person do two-handed things? And I started thinking about, well, what kind of things can I build as an interface to to do two-handed things? And then at the same time, one day in Seattle, I just had I just had this idea. I was like, you know what? If everybody in the world looked exactly like me, had the same kind of uh, congenital malformation, let's just say everybody was born with one hand, their right hand, or maybe their left hand too. It doesn't matter. I think everything would look a lot different because the world that we live in is a two-handed world. And because it's a two-handed world, everything, well... The majority of everything is built for two-handed people. And you got to really think about it. Like, it's a very real, real thing. And even musical instruments are designed to fit two hands. I mean, that's—or if everybody had three arms, I think the drum set would be a little different, right? So this idea I kind of just stayed with. I was like, okay, well, you know, a lot of everything that exists, the whole—the idea of design— especially industrial design, is when it comes to fitting our bodies, you know, really has to do with the fact that we, most people have two hands. So I thought, oh, if everyone had one hand, what would things look like? And then I thought, you know what, that's really cool, you know, because so much of what we build is based on body type. So I thought, okay, you know, what would this look like? I mean, there was probably an 18-month period where I just spent a lot of time in deep contemplation. Now, I lived a very different life in Seattle. <laughs> oh, my word. I, wor- I worked in the Pl- Pike Place Market. I lived in my friend's basement. Rent was super cheap. I had a lot of free time, and I was really engaging in a lot of just mental expansion. You know, I was really thinking about these things. Because, you know, what, what I basically thought also, if we can put a man on the moon, I think we can build a piece of technology that can help a one-handed person play a two-handed instrument like the saxophone. Now, piano is a little different because there's a lot more tension involved hitting the keys. Not that that doesn't apply with the saxophone, but that's such a small part of the entire repertoire that I think I could give that up. Okay, I'm just looking to do some basic, like, throw down on a saxophone with similar potential as a two-handed person. Let's just keep that real clean. If we can get to the moon, I think we can invest a little thought into that. And I'll tell you, this idea was spinning. These combinations of ideas were spinning in my head for quite some time. I was doing just a lot of contemplation. And at the same time, you know, I don't own a car. I spend my life on a bicycle. I'm trying to figure out ways of of making things work for me better on a bicycle. I actually was working part-time in a machine shop. I had some parts built uh, to help me brake better. And I was just in my head and doing real crude illustrations of things that I think would work for my one hand and a bicycle because I have very uneven torque. It's just, I don't I don't even want to get into it um, I got a podcast coming up about one-handed bicycling that's going to talk a little more about that weird thing that's going on with me. Uh, Most people don't think about that. Most people don't consider that one of my other most recent podcasts. So I thought, you know what, let me really, let me really work on this. Let me really work on this. And then one night, one night I had, I just, 
I don't know, I, I was just spinning deep in mental soup, swimming deep. I was an astronaut of inner space. I was going deep in myself. I was really thinking about how this could be done. And, you know, I I, I was just floating. And then this, this idea came to me where I, I figured out how I could play the saxophone like a two-handed person without two hands. You know, and it's funny because I think for a year and a half after that, I spent so much time working on this project. Like I wrote a 20-page paper. Like I, I got it all down. I even paid an illustrator to, 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 to illustrate what I believed this very simple piece of technology. It's not a thing. It's, it's a combination of things and solenoids and frames and um, electro uh, cardiographic electro sensors that will pick up like muscle motion and, and uh, this kind of thing. It's on paper. It may, <laughs> I think so many people that come up with ideas say this, but on paper, it makes sense. And, you know, a number of people that I pitched it to said it makes sense too. And even my boss at World Class Chili, he's like, yeah, kid, I can see you thinking. He's like, what are you thinking about? And I was like, you know what? I actually think I can, I can, I've designed this piece of technology that will allow me to play the saxophone or a number of other two-handed instruments without two hands. Like, I think I can make this work. And it's funny because he gave me some time after we closed the restaurant. I showed him what I had. We talked about it. And he's like, you know what, guy? He's like, you know what, kid? This is actually a pretty good idea, and I think this could work. He's like, the problem that you're going to face is there's no money in it. <laughs> He's like, your clientele isn't that big. There aren't that many disabled people, so to speak, similar to you, and the ones that want to play a musical instrument, you know? And uh, he's like, but I think it could work. Like, you know, I'm not going to invest in it. You know, you're going to have to find an investor or pay for it for yourself or just make it a hobby, something that you want to build, right? And uh, But he's like, I'll tell you what, you're going to Idaho. You know who I would look up is this guy. I can't remember his name right now, but he was, they called him, one of Keebler's elves, because he holds a number of patents for designing Keebler potato chips and stuff like that. You know, just a whole Idaho thing, how to cut fries. I mean, the guy holds a number of patents. And Joe, Joe Canavan is like, you need to go to this guy. You need to get a patent for this, and then maybe he'll support you. So, you know, it took me a lot of work after I moved to Idaho, and I started pitching this because I was determined to build this, determined, you know, and I took it out there and I spent the night out there, you know, I was, I think he was in Idaho Falls at the time. And he's like, oh, I think I've seen something like this before. There might be a patent for it. And he kind of misunderstood what I was building and how I built it. And he's like, no, I don't think, I don't think there's any, any way to get a patent for this. And if you don't get a patent, it's not going to be a good idea to build it because blah, 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 blah. You know, and uh, after probably four and a half years of working really hard, like just isolating the technology, some of the cost, you know, writing the 20-page paper, making pitches, sending in for grants, doing all this, I, I, I kind of had to stop, you know. Because there were other things I was doing. You know, I wanted to ride my bike more. I was looking for work. You know, I was playing the didgeridoo. And I just, you know what, I just, I closed that book and I put it on a shelf. And uh, 
I've just engaged in other musical instruments. And, you know, I even take singing lessons. I'm, I'm, maybe 10 years ago, I took professional singing lessons. And after a year, my singing teacher said, wow, I can't believe you're still terrible. <laughs> and even Dzogchen Kempo Choga Rinpoche, my Dharma teacher said, oh, Alejandro, your melody sucks. Wow, that's not good at all. He's like, but you are so into it, like you're just so enthusiastic about singing. Uh, and it's one of the things, you know, to be a better theremin player, I'm, it, it would be wise to learn to sing better. And it's just something I've always wanted to do. So I, I have re-engaged in the idea of singing lessons, but I'm going to take it a step back. I'm just working on my voice. I'm just working on voice lessons. And then we'll move into singing because I've been breaking out my theremin more and I forgot how much I loved that. And, you know, recently got the didgeridoo out more. I just have remembered that I forgot how much I love the idea of making music and being a musician and not as, as a moneymaker, more just as an enhancement for my life because I love doing it and I want to do it. Like, I just think it's a beautiful thing to be able to make music and play music and share music. And I have done it. I've been on stage with the Red Light Variety Show. I've, I've, I've done a lot of musical performances with the didgeridoo and the theremin and a looping machine and digital delay and Tibetan singing bowls. Like, yeah, yeah, I've done some stuff. I've performed at festivals and electronic music festivals. But I'm definitely not a musician. I'm simply an artist that makes music. And, you know, I've been thinking about this saxophone thing a lot. I, I, I might have to dig up that report and just, you know, 20 years is a long time. And I know technology has advanced so much more, especially in the kind of the artificial arm hand technology with the myoelectronics. And, you know, that could actually add to the game. And um, But you know what? I, I think... In sharing all this, I'm really trying to say that we should never give up on our dreams, even if all they are are just mental mental bits of inspiration. You know, like the idea that I just, I, I willed, I dreamed this dream into existence. Like, I actually got it on paper, I formulated it. And technologically speaking, it is very possible to do. You know, the next stage is to, to actually make it happen and then test it and see if it could actually work. But, wow, you know, I'm, I'm a Dharma teacher, Aikido teacher. I, I'm, I have a full-time job. I take care of my mom. You know, it's like one day. I've, I've never given up on this dream, and that dream is still there. And one thing that can help that dream is just to be a better musician, learn how to sing, and play the theremin, or pick up a trumpet. I don't know. You know, I feel that again right now. I feel that in me that I want to be more musically expressive, which is a jump for me. It's going to take some work. Like I'm going to have to really focus and practice and learn to sing because our in our family, tone deafness kind of runs in the family. You know, I don't hear notes well, so they're hard to find in my voice and they are certainly hard to find in the theremin, but... You know, it's all about practice. The no repeat, no result. If I don't put in the time, I'm not going to get any result. So I got, I got to do it, and I and, and I want to do it. But now that I'm engaging more in the musical stuff, this came to mind, and and uh, I just wanted to share that with you. You know, and um, 
you know, you want to help me build it? Great. You know, it's something we can we can talk about. And if not, don't worry. One day before I die, before this life is over, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can make that. <laughs> I'm gonna see if I can turn that dream 100% into reality. And we should never give up on just the idea of dreaming. At any age, you know, I don't want to be so dumbed down by life that I don't dream about traveling the world or building impossible musical instruments. And the name of my report is called A Possible Impossibility. Because when I was young, everybody told me, oh, it's impossible for you to play the guitar. Or I mean, I'm sorry, play the uh, saxophone. But I was like, no, it's not impossible. It's actually possible. Right. I, 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 I know I can do it. But I heard that about all kinds of things, you know, playing baseball. But yet, yet Peter Gray and, and uh, uh, what's that other one handed uh, Jim Abbott, one handed baseball player, pitcher, you know, Cy Young winner, I believe, and threw a no hitter. I mean, come on. One handed guy, Spud Webb, five, eight, no, five, seven could dunk professional basketball player. I mean, there's all kinds of people with less parts doing things other people think are impossible. And just because you believe something is impossible for me does not mean it is impossible. All it means is you think it's impossible for me to do. And that is very different than I believing it is impossible for me. And I simply just refuse to think that way. And, you know, I manifested. I made it. I made, I got it on paper. So there you go, my friends. That's a little deep, deep part of who I am. And uh, it's just something, you know, it's something I just wanted to share. You know, and even playing the trumpet, like I still think about the trumpet, like, ah, man, I wish I wouldn't have given that up. And then, you know, many years ago when I was spending a lot of time at the Oregon Country Fair, I was following uh, Chris Chandler in the convenience store Troubadours. They had this saxophone player, I know, they had this trumpet player that was just like, oh, he was so good, so heartful. And, you know, I was just like, you know, I could, I could have done that. You know, I still even think about it now. I still think about it now. So, you know what, my friends? Don't, don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on dreaming about your dreams. All right, and with that, my friends, I think we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tap out of this one, call it, call it a podcast. So, you know what? Mask up, America. Let's make America great again. Mask up, America. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Do all that good stuff. We're still deep in the pandemic, spiking like nobody's business. You know, so let's do the smart thing. You know, let's make America great. Let's all wear a mask. Let's let's make a difference in this world. Okay, my friends, stay safe. Be cool. See, I told you, he's strange and wonderful. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Alejandro with One Hand Speaks. Find me online at onehandspeaks.com and all your social media outlets.